Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. We are thrilled to have Coach Joe Hadachek on the program with us today. Coach is a leader in business, in coaching, in his church, in his family. Uh, he's been successful everywhere he's been by simply leading the leaders underneath him. It's a challenging job, but one that Coach Hadachek takes very seriously. We can't wait to hear what he has to say today, and we can't wait to get started. Here we go. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. I am sitting here not in studio, but it sounds like it, with uh, Coach Joe Hadachek. Uh, we are honored to have him, uh, and we're going to pick his brain about what it means to lead leaders in an organization. Uh, it sounds easier said than done, and, and Coach Hadachek has a lot of experience. So first off, Coach, thanks for being here. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, Coach Lovell. It's an honor to be a part of this. I, I was hoping, I know a lot of people that are listening know who you are, know what you're about, but for those that don't, um, can you give us just a little background on yourself? Absolutely. Um, grew up on a farm south of Waterloo, a little town called Dysart. And uh, at that time, um, after being on the farm, going to high school, it was Dysart Geneseo who combined with LaPorte City, which now is Union High School. So my high school got absorbed as uh, like some people might have that uh, middle school in their town. That's where where I grew up. And, and I'm thankful for growing up on the farm, Tim, because I mean, work ethic is vital there. And my dad was a giver and, and served in different ways in the community. So I saw that modeled. And then uh, I went to uh, two, two colleges. I actually went to Central College, uh, played football for a year there and I got in a car accident. My uh, career was cut short and uh, went to the University of Northern Iowa, uh, teaching and coaching, uh, graduated from UNI and then moved to Texas for a short time because I had the dream of wanting to be a high school football coach in Texas, man. That's the mm. best football in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? In December is not a good job, a good time to look for a job in Texas. And when you're from up north, uh, for whatever reason, I couldn't get in the door. So uh, worked at a health club for a while. And before I went, Coach Lovell, I interviewed at Drake University under the encouragement of uh, one of my mentors at NU High. His name was Paul Wack. He was the athletic director when NU High was still open. He said, why don't you apply uh, to Drake and be a college assistant? And I'm like, Coach, man, I got no experience. I played one year college ball. I said, I love football. But uh, he said, well, why don't, you, why don't you try? I'm like, all right. So I applied. And long story short, I interviewed with Nick Cortero. Uh, Nick started the Division Three program at Drake, and uh, I got on as a grad assistant, so I moved back from Texas, was a grad assistant under Coach Cortero for two years, and uh, then uh, one of our full-timers moved on, right place, right time, uh, became yeah. a full-timer at Drake, so I had uh, over 10 years at Drake University, very blessed to be in Des Moines, great institution, went through the uh, Division Three to one AA non-scholarship transition, and then uh, applied it to Buena Vista University, got the job there. And uh, my second, third year there, uh, I loved it. I'd probably still be there, to be honest with you. Um, running your own program, if there's any head coach, you know that has special blessings as well as special challenges. But I, I, I just I had a desire in my heart to coach my own boys, and uh, that came out of the vision of doing something else and got involved in direct sales. Uh, company that I'm no longer associated with. And it took me out of the door to be full-time at home. 
and allowed me to be a full-time coach. So for 30 some years, I've uh, been coaching in some demeanor, whether it's youth football, which I had a chance to do that with my sons for seven years and probably the most fun I've ever had. I know that's kind of under scrutiny right now, but if you ask my boys, what was the funnest football you ever played? They'd say youth football. And um, then the door opened at Union. Uh, Aaron Thomas and I had a chance to connect, and I started coaching at Union when Coach Hubbard left and went to Waverly Shell Rock and had a blessing of being at Union for 13 years. Um, stepped down a couple seasons ago, and, and now I'm helping oversee the youth program here. So um, love what I'm doing in the world of direct sales as a leader, uh, helping people there with finances and health. And then uh, obviously I uh, still love the game of football and, and all along the way, if it wasn't for my wife being a rock behind the scenes, that would have never happened. So very proud father of three kids, uh, two sons, Trev and Tate. Uh, both out of school, and uh, Trev is working and leading out in Washington, D.C., and Tate is working in Waterloo, Iowa. And my daughter, Tori, uh, is just transferring from Iowa State to Iowa in her sophomore mm -hmm. year to be a nurse. So uh, she did a change of heart and major, so she changed colleges. So, But uh, i tell you what, in a, in a gift wrap package, Tim, that's that's kind of the life of what I've been through in, in uh, a short version. Well, I appreciate you breaking that down. There are a couple of things I didn't realize about about you going down to Texas and uh, in the transference uh, from Drake to Division Three to One AA. And uh, yeah, I, I just tell you, it's an honor uh, for me to to talk with you about this. I, I got to tell you, uh, the fans out there that are listening to you know all seven of them, but uh, for me, I just want you to know what an impact you had on me. Uh, when I got my job at Marion, you sent me the book, uh, Lead Like a Rhinoceros or Leading. Rhinoceros Success. Rhinoceros Success, yeah, sorry. And I got it next to my bed and I shouldn't even, I shouldn't remember the name. But you wrote a note in there and um, I, I just tell you what a what an impact that made on me, um, knowing that uh, I had support from someone who'd been around and, and understood what it takes to um, to mentor and to lead and uh, I've never forgotten that, and I've I've always valued our friendship, and I value your mentorship, and I uh, appreciate the time that you're going to give us here this afternoon. So, um, you know, when we're talking about leading an organization, what, talk about some of the things that you look for uh, when you're bringing people onto your team. Well, in terms of like coaching staff, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of different variables you look at, and it kind of depends on where you're at. You know, I've been in situations like in college where you know, you might inherit people and you're, you're forced to take them. Um, maybe with a window, if it doesn't work out, we can make a change. And then I've also been in a situation where you've got to recruit them, you know, and I think in the high school situation, let's be honest, uh, you might have a little bit of both. But I, I always feel this, Tim, I'll take a, a, a guy that wants to learn and has the heart to be teachable and has work ethic and a strong desire over knowledge. Um, I've seen it work not in a very good manner where knowledge is the best asset somebody has. And you may be as smart as heck on the board, but you can't communicate it on the field. So as far as, you know, trying to recruit leaders or, or help develop leaders, you know, within the confines of the football staff or even, even the business field, it's the same way. I mean, I work in a volunteer army, so, you know, you either want to or you don't want to. And the sport we coach is volunteer too. You don't have to be out there. You know, you're not getting a scholarship mm -hmm. to play. So uh, unless you're at a, obviously a higher level. So those dynamics all play a role, you know, I think when you're looking for leaders, but the bottom line is, you know, can you trust somebody? 
you know, in terms of giving them an assignment, are they going to follow through with it? Are they going to be loyal to your philosophy of what you want to do? And what's their commitment level like? You know, I, you know, coaching is a tough profession. You're not going to look at the dollars you're making, and that's the reason you're going to do it. If you just want to be there on Friday night or Saturday, you're looking at the wrong profession because it takes a lot of work behind the scenes. And, you know, I had a basketball coach that was very, very successful, and he said, man, you football coaches are crazy. You only get nine opportunities I said, yeah, you know what? I love that. I love that. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, all these other sports, you get all these other opportunities and you know what? You lose your opener and it's like, man, I don't know if we're going to make the playoffs. Well, you know right. what? I chose that. You know, I chose that. I love that part of it. I love that challenge. And I think you do too. So that's why we're in it. But those are just some things I think I'd look at briefly, you know, when, when we're looking at, you know, putting a staff together and surrounding yourself. I don't want everybody to be a yes man. I want somebody that's going to tell if we're in a staff meeting, Somebody's going to tell you what they believe in or what they think, even if it's not agreeing with me. But the biggest thing is when we walk out the doors, it's decided and it's behind us and we're moving forward and we can readdress it at another time. But, you know, let's be on the same page when we walk out. So uh, over the course of time, I've seen work, things work out and things not work out. But uh, those are some of the things I'd look at. So you really it comes down to having character first off. Um, and then that, that's where you build that trust and, and then the loyalty comes in through all that. Um, what's the biggest challenge in, in leading an organization? You know, you're, you're doing it now uh, with another company. You did it for a number of years um, in Advocare. You've done it as a head coach at Division Three in the high school. What's the biggest challenge for you to lead an organization? I think, um, you know, making the tough call. Uh, a lot of times by that, I'm saying that, I loved when I was uh, had a chance to be on an interviewing committee for a, a position in the school or even at the college level, you know, and we could ask all these generic questions about an interview. But you know what, Tim, tell me when you had to make a tough call, you know, and and, yeah. and you know what, if you, you sometimes you got to think about that. What's a tough call? Well, it's it's making it's making a call that as a leader, when you're in control, you have to make the decision. And you may or may not want to ask somebody else's opinion, but you have to make the decision and you can't second guess it. You've got to throw it out there and then stand behind it. And then sometimes those calls are the wrong call, you know, but the only way I felt to be a a good coach is I had to make some wrong calls and do it on my own in order to make the right call. That's called experience. So, uh, Mm. you know, that, that to me is, is, is an important thing. And I think, the other thing I think that's real important about a great leader, you know, he's, he's, he's going to surround himself with people that probably are strong in his weaknesses. You know, I'm, I'm terrible as you and I were trying to get on this, you know, this podcast, it's like, you know, if you're saying, Joe, you're in charge of the huddle account, I'm going to say, I'm going to save you a lot of pain and pain and agony, man. I'm, I'm not going to be in charge of the huddle account because I'm out on that one. Yeah. It's like, please don't let me do that. Uh, yeah. or if, if you want to explain the pay plan, I'm like, for our company, I'm like, that's not my hot button. Uh, yeah. so, but you know, I think, you know, now's the time, even in our country's history, you know, um, whether you're a fan of uh, what's going on or not, you know, our leader of our country, our president has to make some tough calls and he's going to be scrutinized and, and he's going to be lifted up. And you know what? Uh, all I know is I'm not sitting in his seat. I don't know what he knows, but I am putting trust that he's doing what's best for us and it's the same thing with i'd hope your ad your your superintendent and if you're the head football coach um i'm putting i'm putting everybody on the team ahead of me and if we don't succeed together 
you know, we're not going to succeed at all. So. Well, I, I really like how you talk about making the tough call, making that tough decision. My first year at Marion, I'm just going to, you know, jump on this one because we were in, uh, we were playing CCA at our place. It was homecoming. They were, I think ranked fourth or fifth and uh, they hadn't lost. They were coming in at six and zero, and we really didn't have the, uh, the same talent as they did. And, and somehow we got to overtime and when we got to overtime, I told our kids, when we score, we're going to go for mm-hmm. two. And I remember sitting in the huddle with Ray Riesland and he's, you know, giving everyone a little bit of a speech. And, and so we, we gave up a touchdown um, and they got the extra point. And so we said, all right, when we score, we're going for two. And uh, we, we did the old, um, we practiced the, uh, the quick fake dive, uh, jump pass to the tight end. We practiced it. Um, I, I'm going to let you guess how many times we practiced it during the week. <laughs> I'm going to say twice. Oh my gosh, you got it right. Yes, we practiced it twice. You know, so so when I told the guys what we were doing, you know, the players were like, "That sounds great." And of course, Ray Riesland, Coach Riesland, is very heady about that type of thing. And he just said, "I, you know, I don't know if that's the call. I don't, you know, you only practice it twice." And I, and it's like. We're going for it. You know, hey, Tim, and, Tim, I'm with you. Can I, can I keep adding on to that? Yeah. You know, because I, I think this is, a, this is a tough subject because here's the other part. You know, third and one, I don't think that's a tough call. Fourth and one, that's a tough call, you know, right. on the field. But here's what's tougher. Your star player, uh, somebody comes in your office and says, Coach, uh, so-and-so was out drinking last weekend, and you're getting mm-hmm. ready for the homecoming game. And mm-hmm. uh, you're like – Okay, are you sure on this? Yeah. Okay, so you're trying to be uh, a leader. You're trying to run the ship, and then you're trying to uh, to go. The value is this resource liable? Because today I feel this is prevalent more than ever of kids getting thrown under the bus for behavior, and then whatever the policy is. Okay, three game suspension, thirty percent, whatever it is. Uh, there's really no uh, gray area. It's all or nothing. Um, and, and I've had it happen a couple times, you know, but you lose your three best players, uh, the last three games of the season, they're going to see how good a football coach you are, you know? Yeah, that's you right. Know, you're going to yeah. see, you know, yeah. and it's the same thing with, let's say one of your staff members is involved in some type of civil or uh, political or not political, but a, uh, public incident. And, and it's like, Hey, do you know, coach so-and-so this happened to him? And it's like, I'm telling you, those are the things that grow you as a coach. You know, the, yeah. the, the Friday night stuff, the practices, the problems you have with players, those things are all easy compared to some of those tough calls, Tim. Oh, I agree. And, you know, what I was getting to with, with, with that two-point you know two point conversion call was, you know, there was no guarantee we were going to get it. And we were fortunate. And my, my quarterback admitted in the paper he was throwing it away, <laughs> unfortunately. But it went through the defender's arms and floated in the back of the end zone, right into our tight end's hands. And we won the game and everyone went crazy. And that wasn't the moral of the story really in my mind is that we were going to accept the consequences for the risk we took. Yeah. And yeah. Um, life, life is about risk um, and, and taking risks and accepting the consequences. And if you don't take a risk, um, you're never going to grow. And it's kind of that whole, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change your concept. And it was really eye opening for me. Um, because I was just convicted that we were going to do it. I didn't, I didn't want to go to a second overtime. I knew they were better than we were. And, um, you know, I, to me, that was, that was, that was, that was good for our team. It was good for our program. Um, but, you know, we've also went 0-9 this last year. So we've been on both sides of, you know, having success and, and, and leading in the storm, if you will. Oh, that's good. That's good. 
Um, so like, so you, you were, you talked just a little bit about, you know, having that phone call that you don't expect um, along those same lines, you know, you're, you're running an organization, you're running a team, you're running your business. What do you do when it isn't working with someone on your team, either a player or an employee or, you know, it's, well, what, what's, what's the process you go through? I, I've got a couple examples. I've always felt it's great to uh, tell a story, to make a point and any point worth given is probably validated by a good story. So bear with me on this, but um, yeah. let's talk about coaching staff. Um, and I won't mention the school, but uh, inherited a coach, very knowledgeable, um, knew a lot, had a doctorate degree, but just couldn't get it across on the uh, field. And I just couldn't, I mean, I tried it for a year and then I was given the liberty to have the reevaluation and said, listen, this isn't working. I'm sorry, you know, uh, but we're going to make a change. So thus firing a coach. And uh, mm. I'm going to tell you, Tim, that was uh, something that if I did it again, I don't know if I would have done it because it wasn't like he wasn't loyal. Okay. He wasn't, he wasn't disloyal, but he just couldn't teach. And he probably was at a point in his life. I don't think he was going to change because I tried to get him to change. And um, so that disrupts the family. Okay. And then they have to relocate uh, was fortunate to have a great uh, person replace him, but it just, it, that's an example. I mean, that's the worst scenario, you know, that you'd have to, you'd have to not renew a contract or terminate somebody from your staff. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If that's what I have to do to, to make it a better ship, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what the leader does. I mean, you, you have to be willing to make some tough decisions like that in order to, you know, get better, you know, and it's not about getting in there and firing everybody, you know, but you know what, I tell you what, if you're ever taking over a program somewhere, I don't care where it's at high school, wherever you got to have at least one person on that staff that knows you. And I don't care if it's a volunteer that's got your back because when you're going in and trying to create uh, whether it's culture or a new program, or here's the expectations. Uh, you got to have one person because this this is not a game. This this is like a giant ship out in the ocean. When you're trying to turn it, this is not a speedboat. This takes a while to turn it when things aren't going Amen. right. You can you can coach five guys, and this is no disrespect to basketball, but you you get a couple players and you can turn that ship quicker. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of moving parts on this big ship, and it's a staff. It's, it's a support staff. It's a number of players. It's down into the feeder program. So, uh, you know, you just, you got to make some tough calls like that. So, you know, that's a situation with, with the staff member. Now let's talk about players. I think we're doing a disservice to our, our players if we're not teaching them leadership in the process of us coaching football. So um, I'll never forget one year I was at Drake and coach Rob Ash, I should have thanked him too. He, he retained me. He could have fired me. <laughs> he retained me at Drake mm. when coach Cortero went to K state and was part of Bill Snyder's staff when that all started down there and the Wildcats turned it around. But uh, he goes, you know, Joe, I'd like you to, you know, be doing the strength program too. So why don't you go out to this clinic in Nebraska and, and learn from Boyd Epley. So I go to this clinic, I drive out to Lincoln, Tim, and uh, I got my notepad ready. I, I got my recorder ready. I'm, I'm sitting down Boyd Epley, who was, the, you know, the first real true strength coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's talking about a discipline system. And I'm like, I'm here to learn about strength and conditioning. He's talking about some unity council. Well, the bottom line is I sat in that thing and I was blown away because Nebraska football was taking a turn for the worse in their in their era. 
uh, where, you know, they were, they were losing a few games and it was his job to come up because the discipline was getting loose, come up with some type of point system to uh, utilize and have the players be part of the decision-making process. Thus the unity council idea came and we used it at Drake. We used it at BV. We used it at union. And, and here's, I'll give you just the reader's digest. If anybody wants to know more, I can, I can send you the information, Tim, but um, you're going to have representatives from every class and the seniors should have the most. Let's say they have four or five. Well, the juniors are going to have a few too, uh, three or four. And obviously sophomores and freshmen are going to have two, but you want to make sure you have an odd number. You don't want an even number in case you have to vote. You don't want to have 14 or mm. 12 or 16. You want to have an odd number. Um, but basically the classmates in each respective class would vote for their peers. And uh, if you're a captain, it's an automatic you're on there. And we also had an alternative in every class in case somebody had schoolwork. But here's the point. Um, there's points from zero to five. If you hit five points, basically in that situation, you lost the football game. So if you were a freshman, you lost the freshman game. If you were a JV player, you, you had to not dress for one. If you were a varsity kid, you didn't dress for the varsity game. But there were different points for different violations. But when you hit three, Monday morning, we had a meeting. Every Monday morning, it was standard. If you hit three, you had to come into the Unity Council meeting. And the, whichever coach gave you the points, there was it written in the book. It said the date, the violation, and the coach. And it said uh, John Doe, um, you know, skipped weightlifting. Uh, it's two points. Uh, John Doe uh, uh, didn't bring his helmet to the last game. Two points. Well, John's got four points. So that player would get up front. And basically he could tell his story about why he got those points or why he shouldn't have got those points. He'd leave the room. And then we had one person on that unity council appointed to be the overseer and they would discuss it and they had the right to add points, subtract points or leave it alone. And um, that's the way we did it. When you hit five points, I mean, that's tough pulling a, pulling a game from a kid. And uh, there, obviously the school policy was first and foremost, but we had the ability to add to any type of, of uh, violation. And, and I'm telling you what, that, that system worked because I wanted, to, I wanted the kids to put some pressure on them. I've been scrutinized by that, by, by some people. Well, how can, you let, mm -hmm. how can you let your players, you know what? If I'm not teaching those guys how to lead, we're going to have problems like we've had in this country for a number of years. And you know what? We got to raise up more leaders. That's what's lacking Great. right now. I mean, that's why you're doing the podcast, you and Dwayne. I mean, if you're not hungry for leadership, you're just going to go to go to listen to something else. Go to anybody can listen to X and O stuff. You want to listen to leadership? That's what we're lacking. We got a million guys that know X's and O's. We don't have enough leaders out there as coaches. That's what we need. I'm sorry to get off the soap opera, but man, that's that's how I feel about it. Oh, I, I think that's you know, I think that's incredible because that ties right into where I wanted to go next is how do you build trust with those leaders? And it sounds like this is one way that you do that. Absolutely. You know, um, Man, it's, it, you know, you, you see, you're not making a difference if you're not laughing or crying. I feel that, man, if you're not laughing or crying. And I also know this, that, you know, if there's somebody that just doesn't get it, I don't care if it's a coach or a player, you know, you can't put into somebody what God left out of them. So I'm not going to try and force something into a kid, man. It's a volunteer army and, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect them. I'm not going to treat them all the same. I'm not going to treat them all the same. Those guys that are busting their tail in the weight room, you think they're not going to get a break? They are. But, you know, I think the most difficult thing, Tim, comes when it's one of your star players. Because I tell mm -hmm. you what, you want to lose trust with your team? 
hey, treat that kid just a little different than everybody else. Don't count his points as much as somebody else. Turn your head, you know, when he's not got his belt on at practice and everybody else does. You know, mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, you treat the, every, you think, oh, they'll never know. They know. Those kids know everything. And uh, you've seen this, too, as a father and a coach. When you got a kid that's actually on the team, those are the greatest days of my life because you probably know everything that's going on, right? You know, every, you've got inside information and um, not that your son's trying to tell you everything, but I'm just saying, you know, Hey, is everything okay in the locker room? Hey man, your mm-hmm. son, your son's going to say, yeah, dad, or he'll say, Hey, you need to talk to John. John's struggling. And that's all he'll say. You know what I'm saying? And, and you didn't realize that, you know, John's mom and dad are going through a divorce, but he didn't want to tell you. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, so the way you build the trust is to, number one, obviously encourage the guys to be around, to do the work, to to be invested in into themselves. Um, but how do you balance that trust with uh, or building that trust and balance achievement at the same time? You know, that's a good point. I think trust takes time. I, I've always felt this, that if you came into Marion or I came into Union, it's going to take a year to, for me to gain trust. It's not going to. I mean, you are going to trust the position, right? Uh, you're gonna, as, as a young man, I hope they respect the position just like they respect their position coach. They're going to respect the head coach due to the, uh, to the title. But that trust, I'm telling you what, you be there with that kid sometime when he's down or maybe he had a girlfriend problem or mom and dad, things aren't going good at home. You know what? Spend some time. I'll never forget. Uh, my son was fortunate to play two years at Iowa as a walk-on and before he transferred. And Trev told me this about Kirk Ferentz. He said, Dad, every practice, he comes out, every practice, shakes our hands, sees how we're doing. I said, every practice? He goes, yeah, every practice. I'm like, I can't believe that, the amount of time that would take. But that's why Kirk yeah. is who he is, you know. So, yeah. it, it, you know, making things not all football, Tim, you know, if every staff member after you break practice could walk off with one kid and it was nothing in conversation about football, it was about, Hey man, how's things going in school? Or, Hey, tell me what you're doing this weekend other than football. You know, those type of conversations show you show a relationship, which builds the trust. So when the strong winds blow, you know, when the strong winds blow and things don't go right, anybody can be happy when you win. But I'm telling you what, when you're losing, you went through 0-9. I played through an 0-9 season. Man, that tests your character right there. That, that'll test your character as a man. So I, yeah. I hope everybody gets to experience that at least once in their life. Well, you know, we, we, we talked as a staff when it was over. And, um, and I, it, was, it was a hard experience for everybody, for all parties involved, you know, players, coaches, uh, administration community. But, you know, I think the thing that we realized coming out of it is that we're better because of it. Absolutely. And no one wants, no one wants to get through it, but we know now, you know, to kind of back to your point, you know, the devil's in the details and you, you can't let things slip. You can't let things uh, wander. You know, it's black and white. There's really no gray area when you're talking about trying to execute a culture, Uh, you know, to, to have those results that everybody's looking for. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but you're certainly much more likely to have that happen. Um, And, and so with, you know, if, if you're moving from players and into your staff, because really, as you know, as a head coach, there's only so much you can do because it really comes, the culture is pushed down to your players through your 
coaching, you know, leaders, your unit leaders, if you will. Mm -hmm. How how do you empower those guys to do that, to funnel that vision, that culture, and and balance that versus micromanaging? Well, first of all, I I I learned, I guess, how I want to coach based on how I saw others coach, and also this is very important. I learned how I saw saw others coach that I didn't want to coach like them. And, and you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. You've worked for people that you're like, man, if I ever get a chance to run my own program, I'm going to copy that. I'm, I'm not going to be able to be Tim Lovell, but I'm going to copy. I love that, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's real important. You got to be yourself, you know, you got to be yourself. I think, I think that's, that's vitally important as, as, as the head guy. Um, what was the question again, Tim? I kind of got off. I'm sorry. What? No, you're good. It's just empowering those guys to, oh. to funnel your your culture down instead of micromanaging. Yeah, oh, you know? that's my favorite topic because, you know, I think as a new head coach, I'm just – you want to do everything. You want to watch over the shoulder of the D coordinator and maybe you're the old coordinator. Maybe you're calling defense, offense, and special teams. Well, I'm telling you what, man, hire some people. Let them do their job. Uh, just like yeah. we talked about earlier, if they make some mistakes, guess what? If they're a good coach, they're not going to make the same mistake again. So um, the micromanaging, I think I've felt like that before. It drives me nuts. If I'm hired to coach the offensive line for Marion High School, um, I'm hoping you tell me what plays you're running. Coach, let me block it. And if, if there's a question on technique, I want to sell you on why it works. And, uh, you know, if, if for some reason you don't like it, I'll do it your way. But, you know, you hired me to be the old line coach. Let me coach. And, yeah. and I think I, I, I've seen staffs lifted up by that. Um, because you, you just grow coaches. I mean, you grow coaches. And when you got more, you got, you got ownership, right? You got, you got ownership into their position group or into their segment. And pretty soon leadership happens because of that. Okay. Now I'll tell you this. I don't want to fake. I don't want to, uh, I had this happen once. I, I gave a young coach some responsibility and he called a block punt up at Luther college and I didn't want to block punt on and our, our block looked like our safe and, uh, and, and he, and he hit the punter and uh, mm. I, I didn't, I didn't come unglued then, but I ripped him a new one after the game because you, you, you don't ever call a block, you know, unless you run it through the head coach. So the empowerment thing is huge, but there's, there's a fine line on some of the big calls where I think that most guys want to be involved in that. And then this is the last part, Tim of it. I'm never going to get on a coach in front of the team on the field. I'm, I'm never going to question you. Um, we may disagree on something real quick. I'm like, Hey, you know what? After practice, we'll handle it. So I'm a, I, I don't ever want to demean a coach in front of anybody because I think players love that because they're loyal to their coach. They're loyal to their position coach. And uh, you probably have more of that in college where you're just an offense or defensive guy and it becomes ugly in preseason because you're sick of hitting each other. But um so I think that's important. And then I think the players feed off of that. So how I or you as a head coach treat the assistants is how the assistants are going to probably treat the players. And that whole culture thing is a, is a thread of DNA that runs through the whole program. Yeah. I, I can't wait to have you follow kind of what we're going to be doing this year. One of my assistants I brought on from Glenwood uh, sold us on a coaching model. We're going to use this year. Uh, we're going to have every coach, uh, be a one position coach, nine through 12. And so my defensive back coach is going to be, you know, I've got four defensive coaches. I got five offensive coaches and, um, you know, I've got a 
Travis Stearns is going to be our D coordinator. we got a D-line coach, Coach Ray Riesland, and then Brad Paulson's our defensive back coach, and then Henry Martins is our linebacker coach. And so if you look at that defensive side, those guys, the first half are going to be with the varsity defense, while me and the offensive coaches are going to be with the 9-10 kids on the offensive side, and then we're going to flip. And so the goal in my mind is to do exactly what you just talked about, to have our coaches build into those kids uh, for four years. Uh, as a, you know, so it's, the language is the same, the, the wording, the enthusiasm, the concepts are the same. So when that kid gets to be a senior, he's got so much trust in the coach that he's been working with for four years that, you know, they're going to run through a brick wall for him. And, and then obviously I'm just kind of letting everyone do their job um, and staying out of the way. No, I love it, Tim. I, that's all we did uh, all but one year at Union. I, I did it the same way because I, I agree with you 100. percent You're going to love that because you become an expert in your position, and you're doing it. Tw- you're mm-hmm. doing it 24/7. Yeah, there's uh, and so like when I met with my offensive guys today, I, I told them, listen, the reason we're we're going to be so particular about this is because ultimately I'd like to pass this on to you guys. I'd like to be able to have you guys call the offense because you know you're going to be moving on at some point, and you've got to know how to do it. And, you know, the more we we are in sync together, the better off we're going to communicate with the kids that are that we're leading. And Absolutely. so, uh, you know, that's that's the biggest piece to Good me. Good for you. Well, not about not about I toot my own horn. It's just really more emphasizing kind of what what you're talking about, which affirms in my mind again why, you know, this podcast is just so helpful for so many people. Uh, but if it's just for me, I guess that's good too. So. <laughs> uh, but. You know, as we wrap up, first off, I just got to thank you for your time and your and your um, your thoughts. And um, I know you're super busy with everything you have going on. Is there anything that you feel we left out uh, in terms of leading people underneath you? Is there anything that you wanted to to wrap up or finish? No, I think I think just two things. I just add to it, Tim. And I, first of all, I want to thank you and Dwayne uh, for coming up with this concept. And you know, every coach like you has got his hands full, but you know, you're, you put out a free service to help grow the profession and more importantly, grow the men that are behind the profession. So, you know, my hat's off to you. I just, I just feel Thank this you. way about leadership that if, if I've always felt that feedback immediately, um, if a coach is doing something wrong, I'm not going to wait to the end of the year to do an evaluation and go, well, you know, in the second week of the season, you started doing this. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to do immediate feedback. I would expect that from my assistants to me. And if they saw something that, hey, coach, this is really hurting us, I just want to tell you, I'm going to have that open door. So I, I just think immediate feedback on fixing problems. And the second thing is, uh, you know, and I know you do this already, but, man, if I read something or I listen to a podcast or I, I go to a clinic and I find something that's going to help our staff, man, I'm going to, I'm going to share that wealth with them. And, and say, hey, man, you got to pick, like you said, that rhinoceros success. Well, if you want to wake up every day with the right attitude outside the Bible, that's the that's the book that does it. So, you know, it's like, uh, you know, what you feed your mind and read and listen to and associate with, uh, that's the key to your future. So if you're not growing, you better find a different circle to hang out with because you're not going to raise mm-hmm. your level at where you're currently at. So that's all I've got to add, brother. I appreciate you and love you, man. Hey, I love you too. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, please rate, subscribe, uh, review uh, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find these podcasts. 
Uh, we are honored to have spent the last 40 minutes with you guys talking about how to lead the people underneath you at, on several different levels. The bottom line is you got to be able to make relationships to build trust uh, with character-driven people, and that's what it's all about. So let's uh, keep pursuing life, leadership, and greatness in everything that we do. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great evening. Thank you.